just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast starting yet another week. Got a lot of stuff happening this week. Tomorrow we've got the recall election in California. Gavin Newsom should win. Don't worry about it. On September 18th, we're supposed to have a new meeting of these fake triots. I got that word off of one of my commenters. These fake patriots are supposed to meet on September 18th in Washington, D.C., to protest against the political prisoners, the insurrectionists that are now in jail or on trial. That should be kind of interesting. And we'll talk more about that as we get deeper into the podcast. But I've been getting a lot of comments in email, some on uh, some comments on my post, and people are asking one simple question. And it, it actually kind of upset me when I heard it. And they were asking the simple question, are we going to be all right? Now, what they mean by that is with COVID and corruption and hurricanes and all these things happening in this country, it seems like we're in quite a mess. It's a uh, insurmountable mountain to climb, and it sure seems like that, doesn't it? But there's only one answer to that question, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but that is, yes, we'll be okay. If you're old enough to remember the 1960s, you know, that was quite a mess of a decade, too. We had like four assassinations, RFK, JFK, MLK, and Malcolm X, all in one frickin' decade, some of them on TV. And if they weren't committed on TV, you saw all about it for days and days afterwards. We had the Vietnam War. We had riots, civil rights riots, Vietnam War riots. We had fighting on U.S. campuses. We had kids getting killed on campus, like in Kent State. We had drugs. We had the insurgents of the new rock and roll, acid rock or hard rock or metal rock, whatever you want to call it. It was a very chaotic time, the 1960s. And a lot of people ask that same question then, but you know what? Here we are. Somehow we got all through that. It seemed insurmountable, but we got to the 70s, had our issues there, the 80s, we had our issues, but we kept going, we kept moving forward, and we did all right. So, with what's going on now in this country, as insurmountable as it might seem, I have to believe we're going to be all right. There's a lot of people that have anxiety and stress in this country because there's a lot of things that bring you anxiety and stress on a nation level and in your own home. It could be money. It could be health. It could be anything. People struggle mightily every day. People deal with depression, anxiety, and all these sorts of things. And I sometimes think that I'm either the most healthy emotional guy in this country or the craziest guy in this country. Because I don't find myself having a lot of stress. I don't worry about things as much as other people do. Maybe I'm just a sociopath and I don't give a shit. Now that's not true. I do care about others. I have great care for a lot of people. But 
I don't deal with the stress that a lot of people I meet every day, people in my own family. And maybe it's because I went through some of that when I was younger and I learned some lessons. I paid attention to those lessons and I implement those lessons every day. And I'll tell you what they are. They're pretty simple, actually. I mean, it's simple for me to tell you. It's harder for you to do. But that means you have to work at it a little bit. You can't just snap your fingers and change everything because your mindset, the way you work, is the way it is. It took a long time to get there, so it's going to take some time to get out of that mindset. First and foremost, you have to focus more on positive. I know that's hard in these times. And you'll probably say to me, well, you're talking about negative stuff all the time. Yes, I am. But I'm talking about it in a proactive way. I'm getting my voice out there. But when I'm not doing this, I'm not worrying about it. I'm dealing with my grandchild or my family or a trip that I might be going on. You got to spend some time with joy in your life. You can't focus on negative all the time because as you focus on negative, you're just going to be asking for negative in return. Negative creates negative. So what's the answer? Be more positive. Look at those positive things. Take joy. Appreciate those things, even if they're small, for the joy they bring. Donald Trump is an absolute asshole and a treasonist. But goddamn, my little granddaughter is the cutest little thing, and nothing makes me happier than have her in my arms, kissing me on the cheek, and laughing and playing with her. Anything Donald Trump did has no bearing anymore as long as I have my granddaughter right near me. See what I mean? Focus on those things that are positive, and then you can bring positive things toward you. I'm not trying to give you some hocus-pocus, you know, magical shit. I'm just telling you what I've experienced in my life and how it's worked for me. So I don't normally deal with negative stuff. I do talk about negative stuff, but I don't get emotional about it, and I don't pull it in my body and save it and agonize it for days. I spew what I want to spew. I say what I want to say. Then it's gone and it's done. Then on to the next thing, and that might be negative. But interspersed, there's a lot of positivity, and that's what I focus on. If you can learn to focus just on the positive, pay attention to the negative, but toss it aside, you'll be much healthier. The key is to forget everything that happened yesterday that was bad because you don't want it to ruin today and tomorrow and the next day. It's a waste because it's done, it's gone, there's nothing more you can do. Then there's another situation I see all the time. I see it in my own family. You go into something, you go into something, and you're afraid you're going to lose. In fact, sometimes you even assume you're going to lose. Well, if you walk into anything and you assume you're going to lose, odds are pretty good are that, well, you're going to lose. So why the fuck would you do that? I mean, if you know you're going to lose, why even do it? Just walk away and do something that you know you'll have success in. But people get so caught up in being failures or worrying about being wrong. Don't worry about it. Take a risk. If you are wrong or you do fail, who cares? Stop, think about it, move on to the next thing. Don't let these little things pull you down. 
you got a long life to live. you got a lot of things to do and a lot of people to impact, people that you're responsible for. You can't afford to get sucked down into some, some uh, murky bottom because you're upset that some little thing went wrong yesterday. That's yesterday. Who gives a shit? Nobody cares. Whenever I go into something, I assume I'm going to win. Now, that doesn't suggest that I will always win, but when I walk in, if I lose and if I still have an interest in it, I know in my heart, I know in my head that I'll figure it out and I will ultimately win. So I keep pushing. I keep going forward. Too many people are afraid of being wrong or not winning. Well, that's going to happen. That's part of life. Don't be afraid of it. Use it to your advantage. Learn from that experience and then keep pushing forward. Don't let anything knock you down or push you away. Anybody or any person. I'll be honest with you. When I started doing TikTok and this podcast, many people didn't understand what I was doing or why I was doing or what I hoped to accomplish. And I couldn't convince them any way possible. But I didn't let that stop me. Because I knew what I knew, and I knew what I wanted to do, and I could see what I could get from doing these sorts of things. So I said, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. Well, after time, you get some results, like on TikTok or even here on the podcast, and people go, hey, that maybe is a good idea. Maybe you were smart for doing that. Well, see, that's the difference between people who go after things and are maybe entrepreneurial or something else. And people that sit back and say, I could never do that, and then don't. You got to be positive. You got to be going in thinking you're going to win every time. If you don't, big deal. This is all going to do a lot for lifting your spirits. If you have trouble worrying about getting big successes, start with little successes. Embrace those little successes, and the more you embrace, the more it will become accustomed to you, and the more you'll feel confident about succeeding on some bigger things. Remember what I said, it took a long time for you to get here, so now you got to train your mind to be more confident, more positive, more willing to believe that you're going to win. And this last part, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell it to you very quickly, because I don't talk about religion here, typically. I'm not big on religion. I don't like organized religion. I do believe in God. I do believe in God, but I don't believe in organized religion. Because organized religion, to me, is simply a club formed by men who are flawed, and they use it for their own agenda. The fact is, you can talk to God directly if that's what you want to do, if you believe in God. Now, I'm not going to question anybody who loves organized religion. If you get something good out of it, by all means, do it. That's good. If you don't believe in God, that's your business too. Just telling you what I do. I was at a point in time in my life when everything seemed to be going wrong. I mean, I was surviving. I was doing fine. From the outside, I looked fine. But internally, I was stressed out, had a lot of problems. I had a lot of worries and just stressing out about everything. It wasn't a happy life. I mean, from the outside, generally it was happy, but internally it was tough. And I had a mom who was pretty religious. She was Lutheran. She made us go to Lutheran churches. But she told us a lot about God. And for me, I believe in God. And I believe in God for a few good reasons. I've had experiences in my life when the only explanation for it is some kind of 
uh, intervention by God because it shouldn't have happened. And I won't go into those. It doesn't matter. But that was enough to make me believe that there is a God, a higher power, the universe, whatever you want to call it, however you want to direct your attention, that's fine. So when I was in this situation, I had nothing to lose and I had a whole big hole to dig out of. So I started praying. I believe in God. I prayed before. But now I prayed every night. I didn't pray, please get me this. Please get me that. First thing I did is I thanked God for all that I had. Then I prayed for other people that were important to me. And then I told them my troubles. And asked for help. I didn't tell them what to do. I asked them for help. Now, a lot of people think when you pray to God that the shit's going to come down and hit you like lightning and change just like that. It's not. It is definitely not. What it did do is it slowly but surely got better, got easier. And I stuck to it. I stuck to it. I did it every day. I do it every day to this day. And every day got easier, less stress, less problems, less issues to be concerned with. And now I'm at a point where I don't have that much stress anymore, if any. The only stress I might have is when am I going to get to see my grandkids again? But by doing that every day, focusing on your issues, thanking the powers that be, praying to help others, and then asking for help for yourself. Whoever you believe that is, that is your higher power, do that every day. Don't expect an immediate reaction, but you will get improvement. I did. Nothing really changed in my life other than I was doing that. I was getting older, of course. I was going to retire. And so that makes things a little easier. It downsides. It makes it less complicated. But now I'm at a point where I don't worry about anything. I'm not stressed about anything. Everything is pretty well covered. And isn't that what they tell you? Give it to God and he'll take care of you. Well, if you think it's going to happen immediately, it's not. And then you might think, well, that's not true. Give it some time. Put some work in. And I think you'll find something different. The thing about it is, you think about these things I just talked about. If you can implement these things, and it does take work, your life will be happier, less stressful, and uh, you'll enjoy getting up and doing whatever you're doing the next day. All right. <laughs> Enough of the preaching. I just wanted to do that because I really struggle with people being upset and hurt and stressed and sad all the time. That's not what this life is supposed to be. And if I can help anybody with that, by all means, I would love to. Okay, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was uh, testifying in front of Congress today regarding the pullout uh, of the troops from Afghanistan. Of course, the Republicans are furious because it was a horrific thing in their minds. The Democrats thought it was uh, a better situation. But let's be perfectly honest with you. If you want to blame Joe Biden for something, there is some blame to go to him. The strategy they took to pull people out was flawed. It wasn't right. It didn't work out right. And maybe they didn't know. They came, they, they came and did it, and it went badly. And they didn't know what to do, and they just kept going. So Joe Biden has to take that blame. And the interesting thing about Joe Biden, as much as the Republicans refused to see it, he did take that blame. He says, it's on me. 
He takes responsibility. Quite refreshing after what we saw the last four years, isn't it? So anyway, they're talking to uh, this Blinken, the Secretary of State. The Democrats are being easier on him. The Republicans are being real hard on him, which is pretty much how it goes when you have these Senate or, or House hearings or whatever it is. But I'm amazed when I sit and watch this. I see some raving Republican ripping into Secretary of State Blinken, which he's entitled to do. But he's making all these claims. Doesn't let Blinken answer. He just wants to rant, which to me is contradictory to what you're trying to accomplish here. You're trying to question the Secretary of State to find out what the hell happened. Instead, this Republican idiot wants to scream and tell everybody what happened, even though he wasn't even fucking there. You know, I heard somebody say, it might have been Blinken or somebody else say, well, you know, the the previous administration let 5,000 Taliban fighters out of prison. And they had the audacity to say, no, he didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, he fucking did. That is clear. He did do that. But that's the kind of complaints these Republicans are getting. I even saw one guy get to the point where he said to Secretary of State Blinken, were you interviewed by the FBI? And Blinken's going, what, what does that have to do with anything here? I'm sure he talks to the FBI quite frequently. He said, um, do you know if some information about Hunter Biden was presented to you by the FBI? Oh, for fuck's sake. Are we still talking about Hunter Biden? Jesus Christ. Granted, Hunter Biden, as far as being a kid of Joe Biden's, He's kind of a fuck-up. He's had trouble with drugs and a lot of other things. Rich kid doing stupid shit. His older brother, who was a good guy, a smart guy, died, unfortunately. Now you got this all heaped on Hunter Biden, and you want to try to take him down. Well, go ahead. Take him down. That has nothing to do with our president of the United States, with Afghanistan, or any of the other bullshit that's going on. You want to get a hearing or a trial on Hunter Biden? Fucking do it. We're talking about Afghanistan. We all want to know what happened. And the fact of the matter is the Republicans seem to forget that Donald Trump is the one that negotiated this whole pullout. He planned for them to be pull out, pulled out in May. Well, Donald Trump said one time, yeah, they should just pull out of there. The thing's going to blow up anyway. This is way before he was president. Donald Trump had four years to pull these people out, and he didn't do it. Obama had eight years. He didn't do it. George W. Bush put him there and could have pulled him out, but didn't do it. The whole fucking thing is a mess. And, of course, they want to try to bend on Joe Biden. Well, 13 people died under your watch. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because it was, there was a fuck-up. The way that he decided to pull it out was a fuck-up. But if you're going to blame Joe Biden for those 13 bodies then who are you going to blame for the 2,000 previous bodies who died in the last 20 years? There were many people that died under Donald Trump. Seems you're not so concerned about that. See, that's the silliness of these arguments. It's like children in a schoolyard. Well, you got a booger in your nose. Yeah, but your pants are too short. Oh, but your bike sucks. <laughs> but your mom's a bitch. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's so childish and it's so ridiculous and it's not productive. 
we got a lot of things we got to fix in this country. We don't have time dicking around placing blame. If people broke the law, we need uh, indictments, we need investigations, we need trials, and we need convictions. And it's about time we start seeing some of that out of the DOJ with regards to Donald Trump, his administration, and those people around them. Hopefully, we're going to get something done fairly soon, because if we don't, I find that very troublesome. And I'm going to have a lot to say about the Biden administration and the current Biden DOJ. But we'll see what happens there. This whole setup for Joe Biden to take these people out of the country, while Joe Biden may have fucked up some things there, let's just acknowledge that. Again, Joe Biden was six months into his term as president. Now you want to lay blame of everything on him? Come on. Donald Trump had four years. He's the one that negotiated with the Taliban. He's the one that's the buddy with the Taliban. He's the one that freed 5,000 Taliban fighters. But it's Joe Biden's fault. Come on. Yes, 13 people died under Joe Biden, but 2,000 people died for 20 years. Who are you going to fucking blame for that? It's all relative. The point is to get the hell out of there and put no more Americans in danger in Afghanistan. The whole thing's been a waste. We went in there ill-advised. We handled it poorly. We pulled them out poorly. Let's just cut our losses and be glad we're the fuck out of there. And let's get ever get whoever's left in there out of there quickly. And then let them fucking explode if they want to. I don't give a shit. We got way too much trouble here. But it's just funny watching the Republicans beat on this Secretary of State. Of course, the Democrats did the same. But here's the thing. They're all thinking they make points. They're all thinking that's going to make a difference. We watched four years of trying to tear down Trump's administration, and it was a good thing. That's what needed to be done. But what did it result in? Fucking nothing. So you want to pound on Blinken or Biden or whatever? Go ahead. Who the fuck cares? In this country, it apparently doesn't mean anything because nothing is done once you get in these little arguments. It's pretty ridiculous. We've got a lot of things to fix in this country, and it's not just the obvious. We've got to deal with our justice system. We've got to deal with our Supreme Court. We've got to deal with our Congress and our Senate. All these people are doing some bad shit, some corrupt shit, and they're not accomplishing the job they were hired for, which is to serve us. So we've got a lot of issues. Let's get rid of the big issues, COVID, corruption, on the bigger scheme of things. But we've got a lot to fix this system because a lot of it is broke. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. So did you hear about the big event in Kentucky this past weekend? Oh, yeah, it was a big it. <laughs> it was the We the People reunion. It was a big Trump fest, a big Patriot Fest, and it was going to be huge, probably the greatest fest in the history of fests. <laughs> it was held at the uh, Mullenberg County Agricultural and Convention Center Fairgrounds in a place called Powderly, Kentucky. Don't know where that is. It was on last Friday and Saturday, and it was a big show. They had a lot of people come to present. Some of the featured Speakers were Candace Owens, that fucking goofball, (laughs) 
Mike Lindell, that even bigger fucking goofball. <laughs> what do you do when you say Candace Owen is a goofball and then the next name is Mike Lindell? It's like there's no comparison. Then Michael Flynn, Lynn Wood. There was actually a bunch, like probably 20 or 30 speakers at this thing. It was like a dipshit Woodstock. They kept coming up with the hits, <laughs> except there were no hits. It was just dipshits instead of hits. Uh, there was some country music. There was some Christian music. It was a big show. I mean, a lot of stuff happened, like Wee Fest or something for idiots. Well, they called it what would be the biggest Patriot rally of the year. Oh, my God. All these people coming together to show their power, their unity, their stance, and their support of their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump. This is going to be ominous and awesome. (laughs) Well, because it's such a great show, a big show, and all of that, and the biggest of the year, of course, the price tag to get in wasn't cheap. General admission was $125. You have to wonder how some of these dipshit, broke-ass Trumplicans can come up with $125. Well, it turns out they did. Now, if you're in the VIP section, and who wouldn't be, that's $250 to $500 to join this event. (laughs) Now, they were expecting 10,000 people at this event. And man, that would have been incredible, wouldn't it? 10,000 people coming to this event. Oh, my God. Well, it turned out only 300 people showed up, and I've been corrected a couple times. Some other people have said less than 300. One person even told me 158 people showed up. The bottom line is not even a fraction of what they expected showed up, which is a good sign, I think, for us. You know, people are talking about the September 8th get-together with Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and all the insurrectionist, trumplican pieces of shit. They're coming there to finish what they did on January 6th, because they're proud of that. They're there to protest the political prisoners, the people that were the insurrectionists who are now jailed or under indictment or on trial. It's their goal to free those people because, you see, they didn't see January 6th as an insurrection. They saw it as patriots trying to save this country. Well, the fact of the matter, it was an insurrection. That's all it fucking was, and they can say whatever they want, but that wasn't the case. But here's what I find interesting. Have you noticed after the last several months? You kept hearing about these events that these Trumplicans kept threatening. Oh, we're going to march on every state capitol. Trump's going to be back in the White House. I'm going to give you all the possible evidence that there was election fraud that you will ever see. It'll shake the world. We keep hearing these things. And either they don't happen at all, or if they do, they're a complete bust, like Mike Lindell's cyber cybersecurity, whatever the fuck that was. He was going to have all the evidence, had zero evidence. They were going to march on the capitals. They didn't march on the capitals. They couldn't pull it off. And now they're talking about going back to Washington, D.C. The only difference between this and uh, last time 
is they're probably going to put the fence back up, so that's going to be a problem for them. They're going to be more ready for it because these people don't want to be embarrassed again like they were on January 6th. So you have to wonder if this event will even take place, and if it does, how many people will really show up. Now, you have to be ready for this thing. After January 6th, you can't count on anything. You can't even count on these people being such losers that they don't show up. I mean, that might happen, but you can't count on it. So you got to be safe. you got to be prepared. And now in Washington, D.C., they just grabbed some knucklehead who was in his car with a machete and some other big knife. He had just a, an American flag for a license plate. How fucking dumb can you be? You're driving a car around Washington, D.C., and you have no license plates, just a picture of a flag. You don't think you're going to get pulled over, you dipshit? Jesus Christ. Do I have to do this for you? <laughs> so they get him. He's got these sharp knives. He's spewing all kind of white supremacy ideology, if that's what you want to call it. He had little pictures and designs in his car, like a, he had this uh, the swastika with a quarter in the middle. Don't know what the fuck that means, but this guy is clearly not thinking uh, with a full mind. Well, they got him out of there. But as we're thinking about September 18th and we're getting closer, and you see some clown out in a car with weapons spewing white supremacy things, it makes you wonder, do we have to worry about this? Well, I think we do have to worry about it, whether we need to worry about it or not. We have to be prepared because we weren't prepared last time and see what happened. So this time we need to be prepared and shut it down quickly. Give them no air to breathe. Shut them the fuck down. And hopefully that's what will happen. We'll see. I mean, it's coming in days, so we'll know what exactly happens. And we can only pray that it isn't violent, that people don't get hurt and people don't get killed. Let's pray that uh, that doesn't happen. But should they get violent, because these people are stupid enough to do it, hopefully we'll have enough police protection. Maybe the military, the National Guard, what have you, will have the fence up. My only concern about it is, is we've got a fence around the Capitol. That's good. But what if instead they want to go to the White House or someplace else? Are we going to be prepared for that? Are we going to be prepared if they try to set up a distraction? We know they tried that with bombs being placed in front of the DNC and the RNC. Now, they didn't go off, so they weren't a distraction. But had they gone off and there was a distraction, well, then that would have pulled a lot of people away from the U.S. Capitol, changed the whole perspective of what happened on the insurrection. So we've got to be thinking about a lot of things that are going on in D.C. on on September 18th. Hopefully it'll be a bust and it'll be like the uh, reunion with 300 people showing up. But we can't count on that, so we'll have to be prepared and protect what we're dealing with here on September 18th. We'll keep an eye on it. You keep an eye on it. We'll be talking about it once it's passed. Now here's something I've been thinking about for a long time. I've always asked this question, and nobody's been able to really answer it. Now, on 9-11, we just had the anniversary. On 9-11, the majority of the hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. Now, to me, using common sense, a little critical thinking, that might make me wonder if uh, maybe Saudi Arabia didn't have something to do with the attack. I mean, it seems reasonable. 
But George W. Bush was the president at the time, and he decided instead to attack Iraq and ultimately Afghanistan. They went after Saddam Hussein. They got him. That was good. But they were looking for WMDs all over the place. They promised there would be WMDs and we would have done the right thing by shutting these people down. But unfortunately, there were no WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. There were none. Not a single one. That has to make you question whether you made the right choice of going after Afghanistan and Iraq. This is all a very weird situation. And you got to wonder why he did what he did. But then you have to learn about something else, and it maybe puts a different perspective on it. What you may not know is the Bush family is very close and tight with the Saudi Arabian royal family. They're close personally. They come to visit each other. They're also close in business. And some of the businesses they deal in, oil or whatever, is in the billions of dollars. So their connection is very tight with Saudi Arabia. So when George W. Bush finds out there's all these Saudi Arabian uh, hijackers, you would think he'd go, oh, Saudi, what the fuck are you doing? But he doesn't do that. He ignores it. He doesn't want to open that can of worms because he's tied in so tightly with them. So he switches the blame to Iraq and Afghanistan and goes after them. That's troubling to me. That shows a certain amount of corruption. That shows me that um, maybe we were correct in thinking that some of the things George W. Bush and the Bush family did was a little shady. Now, Joe Biden uh, was going to go to ground zero for the 9-11 memorial. And there were people who were involved in that 9-11 attack, had family that died or friends that died or were in it themselves. And they compelled Joe Biden, said, before you even go to ground zero, you should release some of the documents from the investigation of 9-11 because we haven't seen anything about it. Well, to me, that seems like a reasonable request, and apparently it did to Joe Biden as well, because that's exactly what he did. He told uh, the DOJ or FBI or whoever had them to release documents about the investigation on 9-11. Now, of course, you get these documents, and as always the case with government officials, a lot of redactions, a lot of black blocks covering up stuff we shouldn't see. Is it for uh, national security or is it to cover something up? We don't know because you covered the shit up. But when you read this, there is some sense that it did look like Saudi Arabia did help some of these hijackers at the very least. and may have been involved in this whole attack. But we don't honestly know because you didn't honestly tell us. So what we need to do here is investigate this further unredact the shit, get all the information. And if, in fact, Saudi Arabia was involved, we need to address that. We need to punish them, sanctions, whatever the fuck. But this is one of the biggest world tragedies ever. Certainly the biggest tragedy in our country. We can't let people just walk away because your buddy's on the side or business partners or whatever. But that's what it looks like. 
So even if that's not true, at least you owe us the opportunity to expose what needs to be exposed so we can verify that that wasn't some kind of nepotism or buddyism or whatever you want to call it. We need to know that. We should have known that 20 years ago. And while we didn't, I don't exactly know. I'm not too happy about finding out that there's stuff we didn't know about this whole thing. Stuff that I questioned earlier, let's look into Saudi Arabia. And they go, oh, no, there's nothing here. Well, clearly there's something here. And we need to find exactly find out exactly what is here and then do something about it for once. The Bushes and a lot of other officials like to make us believe that Saudi Arabia is our friend. If even the smallest part of this is true, they are not our fucking friend. Just because you're making money with them, just because you buddy-buddy with them, doesn't give them the opportunity to hurt this country and the people in it. And if they were involved in 9-11, that's exactly what they fucking did. And if you're holding backs because you don't want to screw up your business deal, well, then you're a piece of shit, too. I don't care if I'm talking to Senior George or Junior George or any of the fucking Bushes or anybody else that perpetuated this bullshit. We now have some information that tells us they may have been involved. We need to find out if they were involved. Then we need to find out why the investigators in the first place didn't dig deeper into Saudi Arabia. That's problematic for me as well. So we'll see what happens with uh, this documentation and uh, Saudi Arabia. I don't trust them. I don't think you probably trust them. But, of course, we aren't making billions of dollars off of them either, so we have a, a different perspective. As we're winding down this show, I wanted to talk about uh, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. You know, that's the one that the Trump administration and Mitch McConnell slammed through at the last second, even though they tried or they did stop uh, Barack Obama from doing the same thing a year out from his leaving office. Oh, it was, it was too far in the uh, administration or in the term. They couldn't let Obama place somebody in the Supreme Court. But we got two months before he's out of office, and they slammed this woman through. And her credibility and her qualifications are suspect, to say the least. Well, she's talking now. Good for her. She is concerned about the Supreme Court being seen as partisan by the public. And as much as Republicans don't believe this, the Supreme Court should never be partisan. They should be dealing with the letter of the law and making decisions based on law, not on their party affiliation. She said justices must be hyper-vigilant to make sure they are not letting personal biases creep into their decisions. Well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. On paper, in theory, that sounds great. But that isn't what happens because we know the Republicans and the Democrats alike push to have people that are of a like mind with them onto the court, hoping they'll get special treatment when it comes down to important issues. Well, now, Amy Coney Barrett is worried about this. In fact, the whole Supreme Court, I bet, is worried about this. 
because it's questioning the credibility of the Supreme Court. And let's be perfectly honest. If the Supreme Court doesn't have credibility, they aren't worth a shit. And they're one-third of our government, the judicial part. So Amy Coney Barrett and some of the others on the Supreme Court are getting a little nervous. They sit up on these big chairs in their robes above everybody else. They are above reproach. But now somebody's calling them out. They may not be above reproach. And if they're not above reproach, again, they aren't worth a shit. Well, Amy Coney Barrett is worried about the perception that the public has of the Supreme Court now. And Amy, I'll give you a little tip. The best way to not have that perception by the public is by not handing down partisan decisions like this bullshit anti-abortion thing in Texas. First, you ignored it, you got some pressure, and then you said, go ahead and do it. Even though it's a phony law, it's a ridiculous law. And don't tell me you didn't have authority over it. You're the fucking Supreme Court. You can shut anything down you want. If it had been anybody else, you would have. So if you don't want people to think you're partisan, then don't act so fucking partisan. It's as simple as that, Amy. Now, one of the things you might see with this whole situation, since we know now that the Supreme Court is sensitive about this whole situation, now they're worried about it because people are looking at them a little weird, looking at them sideways. What you may see now is some hypercorrection. And what I mean by that is uh, maybe voting the other way the more liberal way on some things, just to show, see, we're fair, we're bipartisan, we don't care about anything but the law. They will do that for appearances, for perception. You know, it's kind of like when you're a coach and your kid's on the team and your kid is really good, but you're twice as hard as on the kid because you don't want to look like you're showing favoritism. Same thing here with the Supreme Court. Now they got busted for being partisan, so now they're going to do everything they can to be bipartisan, maybe even go further left just to compensate for the perception people have and hope that will be good enough to get them back on their side and regain their trust. Well, it won't. We know who you are. We know what you do. And this is another case in point when Joe Biden, the Biden administration, and Congress have to look at stacking the court. That sounds like a negative thing, and to the Republicans, yes, it would be negative. But what that means is adding seats to the court to even out the, uh, the, the partisanship on the court. So Joe Biden and the Democrats might add three, and then he got 12, maybe add uh, f- uh, five, and you have 14. It's got to be an odd number, I would think. So add six, and, and then you've got 15. Um, To be perfectly honest with you, and I'm not a legal scholar by any means, if you really want this shit to be bipartisan, make it a rule that you have an even number of parties or liberal or conservatives, an equal number. Then you have one guy in the middle who thinks in the middle, and then you can get some real action on some real choices. Somebody gets in to be president, they shove through a bunch of people, and the Republican Party has the option to make these laws, but 
In fact, the, the country is more Democrat and more liberal. That doesn't seem right. So maybe just equalizing it so that it is a fair judgment when it comes down. What well, doesn't mean we we'll always get the judgments we want, but it will make it more fair, at least attempt to make it more fair. But as I wrap things up, I want you to take note of that story. People always ask me, why do you do this? Why do you speak up like this? What can you do? And to, a, to an extent, they're right. What can I do? Well, I can't do anything but speak loud, and hopefully somebody else hears it, and they speak loud, somebody else hears it, and it catches on. But the fact that Amy Coney Barrett right now is concerned about the credibility of her court, the Supreme Court, tells us that those people who have been outspoken, those people who are outraged, those people who are complaining, those people who are us, has obviously had an impact on her, and more than likely the rest of the court. They probably made her be the face of this particular topic. So whatever we're doing and whatever we're complaining about, we've got them worried, and that's a good thing. They should always be worried about what we think, because they are there for us. So what I would suggest to all of us, keep talking. Keep talking loud. Keep talking constantly. Demand your fair rights. Demand that these people act properly. And I'm not just talking about the Supreme Court. I'm talking about Congress, the Senate, the fucking president. Keep talking. Because the fact of the matter is, whether you want to believe it or not, the court of public opinion is the currency in politics. For many years, we've had apathy. Nobody cared about anything. And that was perfect for the Republican and the Democratic Party because they could run roughshod, do whatever the hell they want. But once public opinion changes, then those sons of bitches have to change too. So we do have some power, but it takes people standing up and speaking out and pushing back, getting other people to stand up, speak out, and push back. And the more people doing it, the more things we will get repaired in our system. And trust me, we have a lot of things we need repair. So if you speak out and somebody says, who cares what you think? It doesn't matter. Sure the fuck does matter. Because maybe you'll inform somebody else who informs somebody else. And it spreads like wildfire, like this situation with the Supreme Court and this partisan attitude. It's got them thinking. It's going to force them to change. There are plenty of other changes that need to be made, but this is a good first step. So don't quit talking. Say it loud. Keep saying it. And the court of a public opinion will have its day. Anyway, I went over again. I just talk too goddamn much. But that's all right. <laughs> it's a podcast. That's what I'm supposed to do. Anyhow, you have a great week. We'll see what happens in all these other issues. Uh, but I'll be back soon, day or so, and we'll talk some more. Keep watching on TikTok as well, Instagram. You can see it there too. But uh, I'm pretty much everywhere. If you have an interest or want to punish yourself by watching or listening more to me, by all means, you're always welcome. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Yeah.